Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. We're about three weeks out from the State of the State Address and already we're seeing the first big legislative fight over when to hold the session in the first place. I'm Melissa Davlin. Idaho Reports starts now. Hello and welcome to Idaho Reports. This week, House Speaker Scott Bedke and House Minority Leader Ilana Rubel joined me to discuss their differing views on when to hold the legislative session and how it can be done safely. But first, earlier this week, Idaho received its first shipment of COVID-19 vaccinations. On Monday, Madison Memorial Hospital ER doctor Russ McCune received the first dose in the state, according to Kyle Fannenstiel of the Post-Register and Report for America. Throughout the week, more frontline healthcare workers in Pocatello and Boise received their inoculations. And as of Friday morning, the state had administered 944 doses of the vaccine. What are you feeling? Relief. It's been a long nine months, a long nine months. But not everything has gone smoothly on Thursday. Idaho was one of several states to find out that next week's shipment of the Pfizer vaccination will be significantly less than what we were originally told. Just 9,750 doses down from over 17,000. No word yet on what caused the shipment delay, though a spokesperson for Governor Brad Little says that they expect to receive an update from the White House next week. If you're a member of the general public with questions about when you'll be eligible to receive the vaccination, watch for information from your regional public health district. You can also find more information at coronavirus.idaho.gov. On January 11th, the legislature will convene for its regular session and in the process will go against most public health recommendations by gathering several dozens of people into a single room, many of whom are declining to wear masks. While legislative leadership is working on social distancing and remote testimony opportunities for committees, there's still concern from the Democrats and other stakeholders that the session will turn into a giant super spreader event. This week, Democratic leaders and the Idaho Council on Developmental Disabilities separately asked House Speaker Scott Bedke and Senate President Pro Tem Chuck Winder to delay the session until the vaccination is more widely available. On Thursday, I spoke to Speaker Scott Bedke about that request. Thanks so much for joining us, Mr. Speaker. I was curious about something that uh, House Minority Leader Alana Rubel told Betsy Russell, that it might take two thirds of the House to change rules, but only a simple majority to recess until April. Um, it, is that a possibility? And is there any appetite in your caucus to do so? Well, let's, let's clear that process up. Uh, and uh, Representative Rubel understands it as well as I do. In order to be in and out in 30 minutes, as she described, she knows that we'd have to suspend the rules. And, uh, and we do that by unanimous consent. And so one person 
can bring uh, bring to a halt the, the process that she's been referencing. So, so there's that. Uh, here's the thing. I mean, uh, the Constitution binds us to show up on a, on a date certain, which we will. And then when we get there, we'll operate within the House rules that were adopted in the organizational session. And in order to suspend or change those rules or insert temporary rules, then that would take two thirds of a two thirds vote on the House floor uh, in person, <laughs> because you have to live by the old rules and uh, to, to modify those rules and the similar process would have to happen in the Senate. Now in order to, if, if there were a motion to uh, you know, to recess or to adjourn to a time certain, uh, then that would take, uh, you know, that would take a majority vote in both the House and the Senate. Otherwise, there's a constitutional uh, issue there where one, one body cannot be in session without the other one there. And or, or one body can only be in session for three days before the other one calls it back in. And so, you know, in your career, maybe you've seen some of that happen, but that that kind of clears it up. And so uh, the Idaho legislature, like all legislative bodies, is a very deliberative body. And we're and we're bound by the Constitution and the extension, the statutes and the rules. And those can all be amended and changed. But there's a process uh, in which to do that. Now, having said all that, we are taking every safety protocol uh, that, that we can. We're looking within our the prerogatives that we do have to conduct business as close to normal as possible and still uh, in the committee process, for example, allow for social distancing. We've invested a lot of money this summer, uh, thousands of dollars in upgrading the technology in the building so that every committee room uh, can uh, has the audio and video capacity to take remote testimony, Etc. Now, in order for uh, members to vote remotely, that would take. Uh, you have a cat behind you. I do. <laughs> we, we will do <laughs> as much as we can within the rules that we have, and then, and we're going to play it by ear. I mean, it's impossible for me to predict every twist and turn that the legislature will make in a normal year, let alone this year. Now. Uh, we have we have staff that uh, we lean on heavily, and if and if we lose lose staff, then uh, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. If we get a, above a certain threshold of members, uh, and I don't know what that threshold is at this point, but if we get a certain threshold of that are test positive and need to uh, step back, then then uh, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. It's gonna be week by week and day by day, but we've all, uh, we've all uh, taken an oath to uphold the constitution and the laws, and uh, we'll do that uh, as best we can, so. You know, some other state legislatures have had issues with uh, the caucuses not necessarily being open with each other when there are positive tests among their members. Um, are you plan? Do you have a plan in place to communicate if and when one of your caucus members has a positive test to communicate that with not just members of the minority caucus, but also the staff and lobbyists and other people who might have been in contact with them? Well, just as you and I don't like our medical history out there, uh, I'm assuming that that will be an issue. I, I do think that uh, 
However, when my actions would harm others, uh, harm others' health, and I think I would have some obligation to let everyone know that. And I think for the most part, uh, and, I, and I can't think of a situation where, uh, or a personality that, uh, at the legislature that wouldn't, that wouldn't step back if they uh, were contagious, et cetera. And I, I think that that would happen. The, the, the thing of it is, is that we don't know all the time when we are contagious and when we are not. The good news is that there has been uh, no uh, activity, no increased uh, you know, no one has tested positive since the organizational session or, or even after the special session this summer. Uh, there have been plenty of interactions uh, and, uh, you know, we call that good luck or good management. I don't know which one it is. I, probably, I assume it's the former, but uh, we'll, we'll just proceed. But I, but I think that we would all be honor bound, if not duty bound to let one another know and to, and to step back if the, if the need should arise. Are there opportunities for members to continue to participate if they do have to quarantine? Not under our rules at this point. That's, that's the rub. Well, there are rules and there are, there are possibilities for members to participate. So let's say I go down. I have a list of people that could go in and, uh, and take you know, then take my place in the in the legislative process as an alderman, and I could be, you know, I could be in their ear at all times, listening in with this increased technology that we have, and I and and they could, you know, we could consult, and they could vote my wishes, I guess, if that's how we chose to to go forward. Uh, the, but there's no, but but. I, I doubt, now it's not impossible, but I doubt that we're going to let people stay at home in their jammies and vote. I just don't see that happening. But we do have, do have processes where people can uh, get alternates or, or participate remotely. And, if and, and we'll try to accommodate that. That's why we have vice chairs and, and uh, uh, you know, hierarchy. If I'm not able to fulfill my responsibilities as, as the speaker and being the chair to preside, then there, is a, then there are a list of who that flows down to. So uh, short of wholesale changes, we'll fall back on the process that you've seen happen uh, year after year. Understanding that you said you're going to have to take this week by week and day by day, uh, the, the CDC, the White House Coronavirus Task Force, uh, state recommendations all say that large gatherings really should be limited and people should be able to work remotely if possible. So mm -hmm. how much of that is part of the conversation? And when you make these decisions, how much of it goes to public health considerations and how much of it goes to politics? Well, those, uh, those health considerations, as, as you describe, are not, won't, will not trump our constitution or our processes within the legislature. They, they cannot and will not. But uh, that's why I say day by day, week by week, if, if conditions change, then, uh, then we'll see if the legislature reacts uh, Accordingly, I'm not going to bind their vote. I'm not going to try to predict what they may or may not do. You've seen them turn on a dime and you've seen them drag their feet. So I don't know how, how, how it will be. 
but I, again, I think everyone has taken their responsibilities to show up and complete the people's work in, in as, as responsible a manner as they possibly can. You know, hospitals in southern Idaho, north Idaho are all saying that we're nearing crisis standards of care and understanding there's no political appetite in the state house for things for certain mitigation efforts like mask mandates. Mm -hmm. What solution do you see to avoid crisis standards of care and does the legislature have a role in that? Well, I, I, I think that ultimately we, we could if so if we so chose. Uh, as far as, you know, the people have asked to be uh, vested with personal responsibility now. And I mean, I think that's an under, undertone in uh, what has led up to where we are here on the 17th of December. So now they have the personal responsibility. I think that, they, that it's incumbent upon everyone to take that responsibility and act responsibly. And, uh, but, I, but uh, again, a mandate that uh, if enforced, would result in a misdemeanor where you are subject to up to six months in jail and a up to a thousand dollars fine and it goes on your record uh that's not, it's not like a speeding ticket it's just the grade above that it's a misdemeanor and that and i don't believe that that's proper and i don't believe that there is uh, appetite in the law enforcement community to enforce that as uh you know, as, as, a, as a mandate. But again, uh, if the people have spoken through their, through their representatives, both at the health districts and otherwise, and they want uh, personal responsibility, they have that and they should exercise it responsibly. One last question. Are you planning to wear a mask during the session? I'm going to, uh, uh, I'll probably mess up and I'll probably forget. Uh, I don't know if, <clears throat> Well, wearing masks is, yes, I will. I mean, I'm going to participate when I am, when I can't distance, then I will have a mask on. When I'm conducting the meeting, of course, I'm distanced and I, uh, and I will. If a person comes into my office uh, and they are wearing a mask, I will reciprocate that. If they don't choose, then I may or may not choose. But I think that we, uh, that we owe our fellow man and our fellow, our colleagues and the public, this, uh, this reciprocating uh, to their concerns. I think it, uh, you know, I, I think that's just fitting and proper that we do that. I'm, I have, uh, <clears throat> so I'm committed to setting a, a good example and uh, as awkward sometimes as a mask is and, and you know how animated we all get and we, that seems to muzzle us, which, uh, you know, so people, you know, just, they just got to take it off and talk. But uh, I think that we need to curb our, we can conduct, still conduct the business uh, with masks or through masks or uh, around masks or however we, we've got to do that. But I, I, you know, to your pointed question, what will I do? I will, I will be more diligent in wearing a mask. All right. Speaker Scott Bedke, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. On Friday, House Minority Leader Alana Rubel joined me to give her thoughts on why the session should be delayed and what Democrats plan to do if that doesn't happen. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, first, I wanted to ask about the letter that you sent uh, along with your colleague, Senator Stennett, to the uh, majority leaders, the Speaker and the President Pro Tem, about your concerns about the session. 
Yeah, we have pretty substantial concerns about session. Um, you know, we had concerns, frankly, about the special session in August and the, the lack of safety protocols there. Um, but we're in a much more dire situation right now than we were in August. Um, since then, our, our numbers have gone through the roof. We're facing critical care standards, uh, which is basically death panels, right? It's rationing of care. It's, you know, turning people away because our hospitals and our ICUs are so overfull that they will not be able to give care to everybody. Um, national numbers are appalling. We're regularly breaking 3,000 uh, a day in deaths. Um, we are in a raging, dangerous, phase of the pandemic and the session that's being proposed to start in a couple of weeks um, at you know almost the worst possible time it'll be right after Christmas so we're going to have an even worse spike after Christmas gatherings um, it seems to me almost exactly what every health care professional in America would say to not do right it's you know bring people in from all over the state pack hundreds of people into a closed indoor space most of them not wearing masks no distancing protocols um, and then send them home on weekends to <laughs> bring back whatever it is they caught in session um, and it just is it, it's so imprudent um, and it feels so unnecessary you know vaccines have been approved they're on the way they are on trucks on the way to Idaho um, if we just wait a little while we can be in a so much better you know much much safer situation and we can do all the work we need to do in a couple months we can pass budgets in plenty of time for the new fiscal year and i think frankly we would do a much better job I like having people in the building. I like having people in person advocating for what they care about. Um, and we can have that if we just waited a little bit. Um, and it's perfectly doable under the rules and under our constitution. So um, we felt it was really important to put it out there so that people know that this is a very viable option. And hopefully the majority party would listen, although it appears they're not. <laughs> they're not interested in, in, that, in doing that. Right, let, let's talk about that because there might be an avenue to do it, but there doesn't seem to be an appetite to do it. You know, we, we've heard now from both Speaker Bedke and uh, Senate President Pro Tem Winder have told the media that that's just not an option, at least at the beginning of the session. So with that in mind, what are you going to do? Well, I mean, right, and I, you know, some of the things, I, I did take issue with some of their response and that, um, you know, there was sort of an implication that it just wasn't doable, that our constitution and the rules require that we go full on starting January 11th. Um, and I just don't think that's the case. First of all, you know, we could change the rules um, to allow people to go remotely. Yes, it's a two thirds vote. We often do that three times a day in session to suspend rules and vote on a bill a day early, or, you know, there's all kinds of areas where we suspend or change the rules. Um, so, you know, we could pass something with a two-thirds vote if they wanted to. However, we could also um, pass a, a resolution to adjourn, which only requires a simple majority vote. Um, so you would not need a two-thirds majority for that. Yes, we have to show up on January 11th, um, but we could show up on January 11th quickly pass a concurrent resolution and adjourn for a couple months and then come back and do really fulsome business where everybody can be in things safely and testify and do the whole shebang. Um, so I think there is very much a constitutional and, um, you know, viable procedural alternative to postpone, but um, they just don't want to. And I think that's what people, it's, it's just a choice. It's just a political choice. So we will just do the best we can under the circumstances. You know, we will, of course, you know, wear our masks, do the best we can to proceed as safely as we can. But, you know, when you're in a room with 70 unmasked people, um, 
not sure that wearing your own mask is really enough. Um, but beyond that, there's concerns for staff, the public. Um, a very large amount of the public won't feel safe coming in to advocate. Um, they Maybe they can do some Zoom testimony, but it's really not going to be quite the same thing. Um, so it's, you know, journalists certainly concerned for our friends in the press corps, who are, that's an incredibly important service to the people of Idaho to even know what's going on in there. Um, and if our, you know, members of our press corps don't feel confident being in, in the building and in rooms, I think that's a problem for people. And if we're contributing to community spread, you know, even if we legislators don't catch it ourselves, which we might, so look what happened in New Hampshire where the Speaker of the House died of COVID that he contracted at a session, <laughs> um, which is pretty horrific. Um, but it's, you know, the more people get it, the more we contribute to community spread, the likelier it is it's gonna hit somebody who has a pre-existing condition, that it's gonna hit somebody in a senior living center and somebody who's gonna have really serious effects, if not death. Um, and I think that we, we really should not be contributing to that problem as leaders of the state. But we'll do our best. We'll, we'll comply, you know, on the Democratic side, at least. We'll comply with health recommendations to the very best of our ability. One of the things that the Speaker of the House uh, told Betsy Russell of the Idaho Press was that if uh, some of the advocacy groups were concerned about access, that perhaps a lawsuit was a possibility. Have you heard about any plans to sue over the legislative, uh, over the legislative session? Uh, you know, I've, I've heard murmurs. I haven't seen anything in writing. I haven't seen anybody with a drafted complaint or heard anybody say affirmatively they're planning to. Um, I think it's unfortunate that, you know, that it should take that. Um, you know, we know that this is, you know, the complete antithesis of all health recommendations in, in a time of crisis in Idaho. I would hope that would be enough for us to voluntarily take the action without having to be sued. And I was disappointed at the response that, you know, that, you know, well, maybe if we see a major crisis in the legislative community itself, um, you know, I hate to think that we're going to wait until, you know, a member of our staff or a member of our legislature gets sick and or dies to be willing to act. Um, when we know there's a manifestly dangerous situation, I, I, I would hope that would be enough for us to act and not have to wait till tragedy strikes. But um, unfortunately, that seems where we're headed. Now, I'm, I'm curious about the legislative agenda for this session. We've heard a lot from the majority party about how they plan to address some of the governor's executive power, perhaps some policies regarding health districts and what they're able to do. Um, what is on the docket for the minority party? Um, well, you know, certainly we want to... Um, you know, make sure that there is, there does remain an ability for um, those in, in, in places like health districts to continue to have some ability to act when there's a, a major public health emergency. Um, so I hope that we're, we're not going to see this the complete erosion of powers of, of those who really do need to be able to act to protect the public and to, to render them powerless. So I, you know, I, I anticipate there will be some responsive <laughs> component there to make sure that um, there is still some ability for, uh, for those in these positions to protect the public. Um, we really want to do some of the things we wanted to do last session, but weren't all, weren't able to. Um, we had a lot of bills uh, to cut property taxes, uh, which I think continues to be a problem for people. Um, and to do so in a manner that leaves vital services intact. Um, so we have a lot of proposals to reduce property taxes that don't, you know, wipe out paramedic services or that, you know, that, that was the problem we had last session where a lot of the proposals that dealt with property taxes did so by making deep cuts to vital county services. We have a lot of proposals that won't do that and turning, including um, restoring the indexed homeowners exemption, um, better utilization of impact fees, using internet sales tax funds. Um, we, we 
that front. Um, certainly protecting Medicaid expansion and, and Medicaid funding is a big issue because I know there's going to be an assault on that front. Um, in fact, I've even heard some proposals to repeal Medicaid expansion entirely. Um, we have deep concerns about that given that you know we're in an unprecedented health emergency and a lot of people have lost their jobs. Um, and we're certainly going to fight for um, those people who have lost their jobs to not also lose their access to health coverage. Um, proactively, you know, we have some things in criminal justice reform, including a clean slate bill to provide a path for people to clean their criminal records for, with, for relatively minor offenses. Um, we have uh, some foster care um, legislation to allow people who, uh, who wish to remain in the foster care system until age 21 instead of 18, which it is and which some states allow. Um, restoring the education funding cuts is on our agenda. Um, we have, uh, I have some election uh, reform uh, legislation in the works to make sure that people are notified if and when their ballots are thrown out for a technical difficulty. Um, we, we have a lot in the works. And so, you know, we'd like to see a really fulsome session. We would like to see a real session with real hearings and people showing up and testifying. Um, and that's that's also part of the reason we'd like to see it postponed because we think we'll be able to have a much more robust discussion about a lot more issues um, if everybody's feeling comfortable and safe in there. You, know, you brought up Medicaid expansion, and I wanted to ask about the budget on that. One of the concerns when voters did vote to expand Medicaid was that the budget would be more than what was initially anticipated. And we saw that in states like Montana that expanded Medicaid before we did. Um, is there a concern that there's not going to be an appetite to fully fund Medicaid expansion when those bills came in more than what was initially pitched. Well, you know, I think we're in pretty unprecedented times, and the fact that it's over budget right now shouldn't shock people. Um, we're in a once-in-a-century health emergency with, you know, overflowing hospitals, overflowing ICUs. We're also facing record unemployment with all kinds of business closures um, and a lot of people losing their jobs. So a lot more people have had to enroll in Medicaid expansion um, because they've lost their jobs and are in an economic crisis. Um, to me, that says, Thank goodness we did Medicaid expansion. Can you imagine if all of these people who have just lost everything and lost their jobs um, and are struggling to keep a roof over their heads also had their health care you know, pulled away and contracted COVID and had to go to an emergency room? Um, are, you know, we would be losing hosp rural hospitals right and left if they suddenly had this ocean of people turning up for expensive ICU care with no insurance. Um, it would be a genuine catastrophe if we didn't have Medicaid expansion right now. Uh, and I am concerned that there will be those who try to defund it. But frankly, you know, I think we have to recognize these are emergency times and this is not the time to pull the net away from people. Um, and, you know, I think when things normalize, we won't see this kind of budget overrun. But also right now, we're not facing a budget crisis. We're facing a healthcare crisis. Um, we're facing an unprecedented healthcare crisis. We have $600 million in our rainy day fund that we haven't touched. We have another half a billion dollars in, in budget excess. You know, the state is sitting right now on an extra billion dollars beyond what it budgeted to have. Um, and we have people in dire need that are losing jobs, that are losing everything, in many cases, losing their homes. I mean, just in desperate financial circumstances that are facing deadly illness. Um, this is not the time to, to pull that healthcare away um, because because this health emergency has caused it to go over the projected budget. Um, we've got to make sure that safety net stays there for people. Um, and I hope that the legislature would not be so tone deaf as to pull away unemployed people's health care coverage at a time when they're 
you know, facing hospitalization and <laughs> and, and 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 a deadly virus. Um, yeah, I'm sure we'll have to have that fight. You can watch my full interview with Representative Rue Bell online. You'll find that link on the Idaho Reports Facebook and Twitter pages. Thanks so much for watching. One quick note, last week we overstated the number of vacancies on the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare's Board of Directors. The board won't have any issues convening a quorum and we apologize for that error. Idaho Reports is off for the next two Fridays, but we'll continue our COVID-19 updates as well as online coverage on our blog and social media. And we'll be back on January 8th. From all of us here at Idaho Public Television, we hope you have safe and happy holiday season. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.